0: Watchers in the fourth dimension. And for heaven's sake,
1: don't knock into anything. Good to be friends, do you hear? Friends. This is Doctor.
2: Hello, and welcome back to Watchers in the fourth dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Don. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And the gasnet
0: box of yours was pretty potent.
2: Well, this episode, it's the final end, for now at least, of everyone's favourite pepper pots as they get involved in antique selling and alchemy. Believe it or not, the evil of the Daleks is a lot less strange than it sounds. Unsurprisingly, planning for this story started during production of the previous Dalek story, The Power of the Daleks. Midway through the recording of that story, Terry Nation submitted a formal proposal to the BBC for a Dalek spin-off that would have featured the Space Security Service with Sarah Kingdom, I guess they were going to ignore that she was dead, a brother David, who I assume is a different brother to Brett Vian, who's also dead, and an android called Mark Seven, who is no relation to Gary Seven from Star Trek. A draft script entitled The Destroyers was submitted to the BBC, who promptly rejected it. With that, Nation recalibrated his plans and tried to interest the US network NBC in the project, thinking that even though US TV had never seen the Daleks, for some reason they might actually be interested in it. With that in mind, the BBC decided that the fourth season of Doctor Who should culminate in an epic final showdown between the Doctor and the Daleks, with the Daleks to be rested thereafter. As with The Power of the Daleks, Nation was too busy, presumably trying and failing to get his Dalek series off the ground, to write the script, but once again he gave former story editor David Whitaker his blessing to write it. It was during the recording of this story that Jerry Davis rolled off his role as story editor and served in that capacity for just the first three episodes, before associate producer Peter Bryan added the story editor role to his list of responsibilities – As we touched on last episode, he was being groomed to be Innes Lloyd's replacement as producer, and this was another step in that direction. Victor Pemberton, who had actually had a small role on screen in the Moonbase, was named as the new assistant story editor, backing him up. As we talked about last time... Innes Lloyd and Jerry Davis had decided to write Ben and Polly out of the show and they had asked that the writers of both The Faceless Ones and The Evil of the Daleks to write potential companions into their scripts. Their first choice, Pauline Collins as Samantha Briggs in The Faceless Ones, actually turned down the offer to become a permanent member of the cast, which meant that they had to go with the alternative option of Victoria Waterfield from this story. The part of Victoria was originally offered to an actress called Denise Buckley, but plans quickly changed and Deborah Watling was cast instead. She did actually audition for the part and was offered the role after Davis recalled her from a 1965 Radio Times cover, so that's two years earlier, promoting an edition of the Wednesday play in which she played Alice Little, the muse of Lewis Carroll, and he suggested her to Lloyd. She'd also previously appeared in the 1958 TV series of The Invisible Man, as well as Life of Bliss and Out of the Unknown. Talking about behind-the-scenes crew, as director, we have the return of Derek Martinez. He had, of course, previously directed Galaxy 4, Mission to the Unknown, and The Tenth Planet. And since this was such a large story with a rather epic culmination, he was deputized for the Dalek Civil War scenes by his assistant, Timothy Coombe, who would later become a director in his own right in the 1970s. In the designer's chair, we have Chris Thompson, who had previously been an uncredited design assistant on both Planet of the Giants and the Romans. And he would later become known for his work on Zed Cars, Out of the Unknown and Monty Python's Flying Circus, the usual circuit. As costumer Sandra Reed returns, having been a regular feature of the show's fourth season. And finally, we have Dudley Simpson returning to the show for the seventh time to provide the score for this story. This story also saw a little variance in broadcast time. The first episode was delayed by 20 minutes, owing to the FA Cup final between Tottenham Hotspur and Chelsea on the same day. And Riley, you'll be happy to know that Spurs won that 2-1. Yes! And episode 7 was similarly delayed, although that one was by 45 minutes, owing to the BBC's coverage of the Wimbledon Tennis Tournament. So lots of sports messing up Doctor Who right now. That just about wraps up our behind-the-scenes information. So with that, if he's not too excited about Spurs winning the FA Cup over 50 years ago... Uh, The short summary (laughs) is with Riley this time around.
0: We learned that an Abraham Lincoln impersonator had the TARDIS towed from the airport. He does this to lead the doctor and Jamie to meet his partner, evil Carl Marks. They tasked Jamie and the doctor to rescue Lincoln's daughter, who is trapped at a bed and breakfast run by the Daleks. But this was all set up by the Daleks so they could force the doctor to help them find the, quote, human factor, which is somehow defined by having Jamie run through an obstacle course on the set of the movie Clue, which culminates with him fighting a Shriner. The trial is successful, and the doctor is able to implant the human factor to three Daleks, but they run off to Scarrow which the doctor gang must do as well because the regular Daleks have left a bomb, which would kill them. On Scarrow, we learned that the Daleks wanted to know what the human factor was in order to learn the Dalek factor in order to then convert the the humans into Daleks. Then I mentioned that Karl Marx was actually a crazy gold prospector, The Doctor foils the Daleks' plan by turning the switch on their machine from evil to good, creating human Daleks and letting them fight amongst themselves, providing him and the rest to escape in
1: the TARDIS.
2: That pretty much sums it up. And it pretty much is that crazy. I mean, it, I really enjoy this one, but it's that crazy.
1: You can tell it's going to be crazy because you only mentioned Zed Cars once.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, everyone was on Z Cars at this point in time. So before we dive straight into the story, uh, I'm assuming everyone did the recon for the six missing episodes? Yes. Yes. Yep. No one bothered with the uh, narrated audio.
1: I did a quick listen. And once again, spotted a difference where they didn't want a pony up to pay for the Beatles.
2: <laughs> yeah, my first and before we get into the story, I uh, just want to reminisce a little. I, I have a real soft spot for this one, because in the early 90s, they released a number of these missing stories on audio cassette with early narration. And, and this one was narrated by Tom Baker, which was absolutely bonkers because he did it in character as the doctor speaking in the first Person the whole way through, doing his clearly swivel eyed, bonkers voice. And it really brought this one to life and made it really magical. And maybe it's because I watched, uh, not watched, I listened to this when I was six or seven years old, but it was just brilliant. So I'm going to wax lyrical. Anyway, on to the story. This one has a pretty action packed opening. Yeah.
0: The doctor and Jamie learn about the dangers of illegally parking at an airport.
3: I was just going to say that Jamie really loves to just say whatever he wants. Doesn't matter. He's just like, hey, I'm going to say this. Hey, none of this makes sense, but I want you to listen to me because this is the TARDIS. And the doctor's like, no, Jamie, stop. And he's like, no, I need to say this. Jamie, learn when to speak, please.
2: I, I really love that Jamie moment where someone asks him if he's foreign and he says, me, foreign? You're the one that's foreign. I'm Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, you're, you're in England. bit foreign.
3: (laughs) And then they have the creepy guy creeping on them.
2: Yeah. I really thought that this didn't feel like an episode of Doctor Who. This felt more like an early episode of The Avengers with that kind of espionage theme. There's clearly some kind of intrigue in contemporary London. It was an interesting way to start the story. And the fact that we don't see the Daleks, and even though it's called The Evil of the Daleks until towards the very end it's the same tactic they did with the dalek invasion of earth where they kind of leave you waiting for that moment
1: that actually leads into my first of, of two complaints about these first two episodes which overall i really really liked i don't think they should have shown the dalek in the first episode I think they should just have had whatever assistant guy be killed and use the Dalek light flash to show it, but not actually show or hear the Dalek. And I wouldn't have called this episode Evil of the Daleks. I would have called it The Human Factor. Because the entire structure of the entire first episode and all the way into the second episode where the Dalek first bursts out of the cupboard and the Doctor sees it, that's the culmination of a mystery and attention and when they show the dalek that early it completely kills it because suddenly you know what's going on
2: plus they call the serial evil of the daleks and i I think that's an interesting point don because when david Whitaker wrote this he actually gave each of the episodes their own title like we used to have on the show and this episode was originally going to be called to set a trap dot 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 so daleks weren't mentioned in the episode title if it had had a standalone title And I think, yes, that would have worked a lot better.
3: I'm sure the BBC was in two minds about it because from a narrative perspective, I agree with you that not saying Daleks would have been better. However, because they're still banking on people watching something because of the Daleks, because of what was Dalek Mania for a while, then they would want to make sure that they know the Daleks would be there, you know, so they could get more people to watch.
1: Marketing versus
3: narrative. Yes, I agree with you. I think that it was a mistake
0: All of you make extremely good points, but all I'm doing over here is thinking about how much I wish that the Doctor and Jamie would go back to the airport commandant and explain everything to him, again, for him to be more bewildered. (laughs) (laughs) That
2: would
1: have been entertaining for an episode. He would have made a nice recurring character. (laughs)
2: One thing I really did love about this episode was just that little double act between the Doctor and Jamie and how the two of them are trying to piece together all of the elements of what's going on. I, I think that relationship is really starting to bloom. And we saw that last story and it we're seeing more of it now. It's just the two of them. I think they're a great, great, great double act.
0: I believe that their relationship, especially Jamie, is the main shining part of this entire serial Because now that he is the lone companion and when was the last time we have had that, it allows Jamie's character to really get fleshed out. He actually has moments with the doctor where he's getting into a fight with him and getting into an argument with him. And I think that's refreshing. Instead of just people just circling around the doctor, they're starting to develop an actual
2: real relationship.
1: They're having characters instead of people that fulfill plot functions.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think a big part of that is this was written by David Whittaker, who is a lot better at that characterization than some of the other writers that we've had.
3: And I like that they still introduce Jamie to new, quote unquote, modern things such as the train, but they do it in such a way where it's like, okay, you've got your laugh and now we're going to move on because as soon as it's explained to him he's like okay great there's an explanation and he just goes with it and i love that about Jamie and how they brought someone from the past and were able to do it successfully because he's just he just has that kind of movement of character
1: he rolls with it
3: yes
2: let's talk about the two or three i guess if you include waterfield supporting characters so we've got Kennedy who you know he's a bit rough is Kennedy he speaks a bit like this
0: but he's so easygoing I, I swear there was a moment with Waterfield where he asked Waterfield to see inside the, what we learned to be the room where the Daleks are, or the, the, the transporter. And Waterfield says no, and he goes, oh, sure, all right. I mean, he's just like, okay. No concerns with this guy. He's like the most easygoing thug ever. Yeah.
1: He's not going to push it. And then yeah. you've got-
0: And then we have Perry. Pa- yes, Perry. Perry. Who is, uh, I believe, came in third for upper class twit of the year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he did put yes. in an excellent showing, though. Yes,
2: he did. I do love that the actor Jeffrey Colville for Perry would eventually go on to be in Lovejoy, which was a, a TV show about a roguish antiques dealer who sold mysteries. So he's uh, he's clearly got a, a type of show he likes to be in. He's been typecast, the poor man. I mean, that accent. Did anyone else think,
1: one, once again, that the plan to get the doctor and Jamie involved was just a little bit <sighs> convoluted and insane? Just yes. a bit.
2: <laughs>
0: To the point where the doctor even says it wasn't a lot to go on. Yeah. (laughs) If that's
1: your goal, maybe think it through. I mean, it only worked because the writer really needed it to. (laughs) Yeah. But we did get the doctor and Jamie hanging out in a coffee shop listening to the Beatles, so it was worth it.
3: Because we had the Beatles, and we had Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, and all I could think of was Lion King. (laughs) It was beautiful.
2: (laughs) We also had Jamie on the dance floor. And there's that wonderful shot with all the girls on the dance floor are wearing tartan skirts as well. (laughs) So you've got Jamie in his kilt and uh, amongst these women all wearing tartan skirts. I just thought that was a wonderful little bit of juxtaposition there. Anyway, we we close out the episode with Kennedy being an absolute moron, breaking into... (laughs) waterfield's secret room and just flicking random switches like dude what are you doing
1: but here, the one conspiracy we never heard, Kennedy was in fact killed by a Dalek.
2: <laughs> Which takes us nicely into episode two.
1: This episode has my favorite bit of the Doctor and Jamie comedy duo, where the doctor warns <laughs> Jamie not to hit anything and then immediately knocks into something
2: with his butt and Jamie has to catch it. <laughs> they they really have a wonderful rapport between Patrick Troughton and, and Frazier Hines. They're a Great, great double act. I'm going to keep waxing lyrical about this for the next two seasons.
3: And I love that Jamie is the one who calls out the time machine theory. Because the doctor's like looking at the stuff and he's like, it doesn't make any sense. It looks brand new, but it's old and I don't understand. And Jamie's like, it has to be a time machine. And the doctor's like, that's not possible.
1: And he's totally right. Congratulations. (laughs) I like that they give Jamie stuff to do and to figure out. Yeah. Even though he's a man, you know, from the past and out of time, he contributes. He's helping and not just being the muscle.
2: Really goes to show how wrong the previous production team, who I won't name, were (laughs) about companions from the past. You know, the whole reason they got rid of Katerina was because they felt that a character from the past wouldn't work in that role, and here's Jamie working perfectly. And we'll have another one by the end of this serial. Yeah,
3: It's also refreshing to me to see only a male companion because it's always a Always,
2: I know we've had this once before with Stephen in
3: yeah the massacre. In the
2: massacre, I'm trying to think whether we ever get this again. I think we briefly get it with the Fourth Doctor and Adric for maybe one episode. It's definitely not something we see very often. Do love. The mystery of this. And I also love that Perry, who, despite being deeply embroiled in the conspiracy theory, or conspiracy, not even theory, just the conspiracy, has no idea what's going on.
1: (laughs) He disappears after he brings the police back. And you have to wonder what he thought, because he brought these people in, and then all these people just disappeared.
2: Incidentally, this was the episode where Ben and Polly were originally meant to be written out. So... I think I said last time Michael Craze and Annika Wills had been contracted up to this episode and eventually they just paid them out and and didn't use them. I can't help but think that maybe this would have been the Doctor and Jamie would get zapped into the Victorian era and Ben and Polly just wouldn't go with them. And that would have been the last we had seen of them, which would be a really shitty ending. Yeah,
0: I agree completely. I couldn't I, I was thinking how they would have been able to write them out. Have them walking away as the doctor and Jamie get sucked back into 1866 and them just say, hey, okay, we're going to go back and go and live our normal life. Would not have been very
2: satisfying.
1: Perry and the police arrest them. They spend the rest of their lives in jail. <laughs> <laughs> for,
2: for the murder of Kennedy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be wonderfully dark. <laughs> Big finish if you're listening. <laughs> I mean, Ben just sounds guilty. He'll just be shouting all the time. He protests too much.
1: (laughs) I
0: didn't
2: do it. Okay, dear listener, every time one of us says Big Finish, are you listening? You have to take a shot.
3: So they're in 1866 and they wake up in a really nice room and you hear the birds chirping and then Molly comes in and she's like helping out. And then she looks at Jamie and she's like, oh, well, hello. I'm like, I get it, girl.
0: (laughs) I measured this. Every single interaction she has with Jamie, she
2: giggles at least once. (laughs) I think she's delightful. Oh, Molly's wonderful.
3: No, I love Molly.
2: Maybe Molly should have been the new companion.
3: If she had a little bit more agency, although Victoria doesn't either, Molly follows the rules too much. I mean, Victoria's scared because the Daleks are telling her to, but Molly's just... If she was shown as a servant who, even though she was a servant, did more, then I would agree with you.
2: Incidentally, Joe Robottom, who played Molly, actually auditioned for the role of Victoria and didn't get it.
0: Little oh. tidbit: why were the Daleks measuring and weighing her
2: victory they, they were
1: just skinny shaming him skinny shaming her <laughs> because they're just they're just terrible creatures.
2: okay <laughs> and they they clearly don't understand humanity. I, I almost think it, it's part of a convoluted way to show that lack of understanding and why they don't get the human factor. OK.
0: Mm-hmm. I kept at the beginning trying to determine how this was
1: going to play into the plot later. It did not) <laughs> <laughs> is victoria's weight going to pay off later <laughs> <sighs> we'll just never know
3: i love when he shows the painting off and when i first saw the painting it wasn't a very great picture so i was looking at it i was like it's, it's not a really great picture is it and i was like oh that's my late wife oh i'm sorry
1: <laughs> I-, I did find a bit of unintentional humor at that moment because he asks, Oh, is that you watch this? No, that's a painting of my wife. It just, the way it was set up was a very <laughs> Python esque comedy beat.
2: <laughs> and Jamie's immediately got eyes for her as soon as he sees the oh, painting. Yeah. Calm down, dude. Calm down.
3: Yep. It's this whole like long setup, very much from the second episode that Jamie's looking for something.
2: <laughs> Those portraits,
0: it's 19th century Tinder. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alright, I know what we're moving into and the question is, can Anthony talk about this without saying the word alchemy or alchemical?
2: <laughs> the answer is no. Damn! <laughs> Anthony cannot talk about this without saying alchemy or alchemical.
1: Alright kids, <sighs> it's all done with mirrors.
2: <laughs> so, everything in this in Maxtable's explanation, and by the way, before we talk about this, Maxtable's beard, I have serious beard envy there. That's, that's, that's the dream beard.
1: Where do you think the static electricity came from?
2: <laughs> Rubbing on the beard. So everything in this, in Maxwell's explanation of how his time machine works, is pure alchemy. He talks about how there are 144 mirrors, that's 12 squared, that's got some importance in alchemy. All the static, that's what it is. And it's just the beginning of this story's obsession, or or dare I say, David Whittaker, really the culmination of his obsession with alchemy. We'll come back to it later where it becomes a bit more blatant as we start looking at both physical alchemy of turning lead to gold versus is spiritual alchemy of a transformation of the self. so this is where i start rambling on so i'm going to quit while i'm ahead and come back to this topic when we're in i don't know episode six or seven
1: i did like the really bonkers explanation that he gave and the doctor pricking up his ears when he mentioned static electricity oh yeah that's one of the reasons yes. he knew. i'm just like why did you unveil the dalek in the first episode because this reveal was just perfect. It was what it was building towards. Anyway.
2: Yeah, the first thing we'd heard would have been the dark DOCTOR, and that had been the first instance of the Dalek so after that little hint. That would have been beautiful.
1: Completely agree.
3: And we find out that they absolutely need Jamie. Why do they need Jamie? It's not really very well explained. Jamie gets hit over the head, and then we find out that Jamie is absolutely needed for what we have no idea what he's needed for, but a delay will result in death. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Episode three.
0: Addition of a a necessary extra character. Yes. Yes.
1: But we also have Toby, who is the guy guy that hit Jamie and who has a cudgel named, and I love this, Mr. Nod.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So the guy who plays Toby, Windsor Davies, is one of those actors who was absolutely iconic in Britain for his role in a sitcom called It Ain't Half Hot, Mum, which was set in colonial India. He played a sergeant major who was referred to as Shut Up, Williams. And he he was just brilliant. So seeing him crop up in this story was amazing.
1: As opposed to first name Williams. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no one's going to get that, unfortunately. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so by way of... No, I'm not going to explain it. Let's just keep that a mystery.
1: So this is where we're moving into the celestial toy maker part of this serial. Eventually.
3: Yeah. <laughs> One thing before we get quite into all of that, when I was first watching this, when they did the loose cannon reconstruction, they decided to do some random filming because there kept on being a whole bunch of rear shots of Victoria. And I was like, why do they just show her from the back? And then I finally pieced it together that, oh, they just wanted to have at least some movement. So they decided to actually film some things.
1: Yeah, they actually went to the house where this serial was filmed and shot new stuff.
2: It's still there as well. I think this was this recon was 10 years ago. I think the house is is still there and it's grade two listed, which means they can't modify it.
1: I think they had to digitally add in some wallpaper to make
2: it match the existing footage. But yeah, they went all out. Fantastic effort. So I do have a question on Toby and Terrell. The random little kidnap of Jamie at the beginning. I couldn't quite figure out why it happened.
3: Because Terrell was being controlled with that little device mm-hmm. and the thing where th- that they were doing is they needed to get Jamie away from there at first so they could set up all of this nonsense of what uh... Jamie needed to do and then they were going to bring Jamie back to go through this test to figure out what the human thing was.
2: Oh, okay. Got it. I didn't get that either. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I, I missed that too because Waterfield and Maxwell didn't really seem in on the whole kidnapping piece.
1: Especially since he was returned almost immediately. It's not a very good kidnapping.
2: No, well. So speaking of the the various trials, so there's a giant black man whose mind is underdeveloped, but he's super strong and he's meant to be a Turk. So, yay racism.
3: Yeah, it's not even just that he's black, he's trying to be a Turk. It's the fact that they had to go with the, the dumb... version of it i'm like did we really have to do that i hate when that happens because Mm -hmm. he really could just be this really cool dynamic character who you know when he's told what to do he he does it and then after talking with jamie and jamie saving him then he's like you know what i've been thinking about this all wrong but they just do like the the dumb version so that he doesn't have to have any lines and he just kind of gets to sit there and nod and grunt and it's just it's not a good way to do a supporting character like that i agree I, i did not like it
1: but I got the feeling from what I saw of Kamel, who in in action I actually liked him because, despite what Maxtable said, Kamel was actually pretty smart. He couldn't speak, so he had he had the classic version of dumb, as in one who cannot speak. But he wasn't stupid.
3: Yeah. It's just I don't like it even from a even if someone generally thinks of him as dumb it it gets really frustrating yeah it, it's an un, unfortunate
1: the, stereotype yes I know we're
0: all thinking it so go ahead and grab your shot glasses where are the big finished stories of Jamie and Camille adventures
3: yes that's
1: really too bad
3: imagine if Camille had could have been a companion
0: I would like to be casted as Camille uh, to do the voice acting work <laughs> it's be very limited. But I believe I can you do it. You could
1: have the Doctor Who Camel workout book, you know, bending <laughs> things behind your neck. I mean, that was what, 15 minutes of this serial was just Camels' feats of strength.
2: <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I understand that this episode and the next couple are kind of fillery.
3: And I love that we find out that Jamie is kind and compassionate and a good man.
2: So just very quickly on Kemmel before we move on you talk about him just being dumb in that he can't speak and and that's right I mean he needs he needs justification before he'll hurt Jamie he's not just going to take it on Maxwell's word and then later he figures out that Jamie is good and trying to help Victoria so yeah 100 percent yeah
1: i like the fact that he wasn't just here is a big evil dude the fact that he watched what jamie was doing and realized that he had been lied to and and joined jamie's side i, I like that and yes i would like the jamie and Camel adventures make it happen <laughs>
3: I do like a little bit later in this episode, we get another instance of the doctor and Jamie being upset at each other. Yes. yes. And Jamie's standing mm-hmm. up to the doctor. I'm like, Yes, this is what we need. I love the interactions with companions where they stand up to the doctor and don't just do what he says.
2: It was a bit reminiscent of Ben in The Macro Terror, except Jamie's not under any form of mind control. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Although there is yet more mind control in this series. <laughs> there
2: is. There is. After so many stories of mind control it's refreshing to have jamie being mad at the doctor without being under some sort of other influence yeah he just doesn't like feeling manipulated which of course the doctor uses to (laughs) manipulate him some more in the over the course of the argument exactly because the doctor is always like five steps ahead and this is very much the character mold that we'll see in 20 years time in the show when we get to the seventh doctor so it's here we find out the doctor's going to record all of jamie's actions to come up with the the human factor as it's called
1: which sounds like the worst perfume ever i'm just saying that's nasty
2: (laughs) I was thinking it was like a horrible
0: tagline for like IT company or an insurance company (laughs) advertising on TV. The human factor.
1: It's like they're trying to turn their failures into positives. (laughs) Sure, we lost all your data, but that's because of the human factor.
2: (laughs) As he goes, starts on this quest... I, I had one major question, because even taking into account the whole Terrell-Toby kidnapping of Jamie, that wouldn't have given enough time to set up all the traps. So why does a Victorian house have all of these traps built in?
1: Because why not? Okay. If I had one, Fair I enough. would. There would be secret passages everywhere. Oh my god. You, oh, don't,
3: so you awesome. don't think that Maxtable is just a crazy nut? Because that's what I think.
1: I mean,
0: yeah. yeah. That is the scene that was missing from the previous episodes of just scenes of Maxtable holding up the axe, you know, hanging it <laughs> from the ceiling. Stroking
1: his beard.
0: I can I can see a David Lynch scene of like just 15 minutes, just straight and nothing but that. No cuts. Uh
2: the evil of the Daleks as directed by David Lynch. Oh, that would be good. You know it. It, it would be even more padded <laughs> with those scenes. All right. So we end this episode with Camel and Jamie facing off, which is going to lead into the inevitable fight. And Toby died. We're all going to miss him. (laughs) Lesson, don't steal, kids. That's right.
3: I'm so sad we didn't get to see that fight because I really wanted to see that fight between Jamie and Camel. Yeah, Yeah. this
2: huge, huge guy getting destroyed by this this small little guy.
3: Well, because they thought that the fight would be won purely on strength. That's not how fights work.
2: But we got to see a Dalek carrying
1: a little handkerchief. <laughs> Head cannon. that Dalek totally had a crush on Jamie and was leaving it there for him. Aww. Had nothing to do with Victoria and the whole plot.
2: I really love how Kemmel realizes Jamie's nice after Kemmel falls out of the window and Jamie helps him back in. I just think that's so lovely. You know, it's very, very human. Very, very Jamie. Very chivalrous. Um, hmm? Very heroic. Yes. And then Kemmel immediately pays him back by saving him from an axe.
3: How better to form a friendship than saving each other.
2: Yeah, that's true. It's
3: so good. It's so good.
2: And then I think Jamie's probably the nicest anyone's ever been to Camel. Camel bows to him and he says, none of that. We can be friends. It's very nice. (laughs) And like, he's treating Camel like a person, which I don't think, you know, just listening to the dialogue, no one else has really done.
3: Because Jamie's the one who figures out that Camel, while he doesn't speak, can write his name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Because Jamie takes the time to listen to him, even though he doesn't speak. Because Jamie doesn't get caught up on airs and all that kind of stuff like Maxtable does. Jamie is just Mm -hmm. Jamie, and he's like, Hi, I'm Jamie. Who are you? And let's be friends. It's very cool. Reminds me of how our friendship started, Don. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) With less of a fight going out the window. Yeah.
3: (laughs) And we find out that Camel likes Victoria, because everyone loves Victoria, apparently. Yeah, she is very pretty. She's very pretty. She's
2: very pretty, very Mm doe-eyed. Yes. And speaking of the other inhabitants of the house, so Maximal goes to try and kill Waterfield and Terrell stops him. And it's that point that he... I mean, you can really tell that he's under mind control by that point because he starts going, you will obey, you will obey. (laughs) It's like, okay, I see what's going on here. All right. Mm -hmm. I did really enjoy the the little dissections of Jamie's progress and how humanity's reflected in it it was a nice little bit of uh anthropology and and to some extent psychology in that i i really enjoyed those little asides
3: although i'm not, i'm not going to lie i also said that escaping random traps doesn't make you a peak human <laughs>
0: <laughs> that just makes you super mario yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> and then poor molly gets accosted by arthur and i'm like no but but Molly, Molly didn't do anything wrong. I didn't like yeah. that.
2: On the bright side, I mean, with, with Terrell's behavior, I, Ruth knows that this isn't him. We already know he's being mind controlled, but, you know, her, his fiance knows that there's something not quite right there. And I think, is it the doctor or Jamie later who tells her to get him away from the house if she, you know, knows what's good for him? I don't know. It, it doesn't quite sit right, you know, how... She, he drags Molly round, interrogates her, calls her a mean, sniveling little minx. But equally, he's clearly not yeah. right.
1: My note said Terrell needs to switch to decaf.
2: <laughs> Less cocaine <laughs> for <Yeah>. Terrell. Yeah.
3: <laughs> and then Max De the comes in and is threatening the Daleks.
2: Oh, he's so deluded. Oh, he so ah. is. Really, I mean, pulled he's. Himself. He's still convinced that they have a partnership even after the Dalek pushes him over.
1: <laughs> he's convinced they have a partnership I... right into the last episode
2: when he's in a yeah. prison cell and he tries to rationalize it as they are different people. Yeah, sure dude, this is cultural differences. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what this is. All for the the secret which we don't yet know what it is. Alchemy. <laughs> Take a drink.
3: i also found it interesting that they decided to animate the climbing of the rope oh my god end. that was
2: so bad
1: no expense was well not spared spent Would that be <laughs>
3: <right>? <laughs> i don't know why they decided to do that
1: presumably they had no other way of filling in that gap
3: okay but i also think that one i miss not being able to see the real thing because i want to know how they shot that because if Jamie's sitting there climbing up, climbing up an actual rope, uh, I need to see that.
2: <laughs> <So>. fair enough. <laughs> you're welcome. Guys. I don't think there you was have... upkilt porn in this. <laughs> it's it's still have... Doctor
1: Who.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you guys get another two seasons of Doctor Who with this, so uh, you're welcome.
1: <laughs> so, moving into episode five, wow, these Daleks are just terrible.
2: Yeah, so Jamie and Campbell already took one one out with a the rope trick in episode four, and now they take another one out by pushing it off the balcony. Yeah.
1: And in a cut scene, they got a Daleks. third with wow. like a bobby pin and some chewing gum. I mean, they're just terrible. <laughs> the uselessness of the Daleks.
3: <laughs> one thing I noticed, and it might be me reading into things a little bit, but when the Daleks were kind of, you know, moving around and all this other stuff, the music had a little bit of the... Da 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 da. That's oh, not you. That the was
1: there. Okay. That happened.
3: Okay, it's the da 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 from New Who,
1: and it's yeah, it's, uh, from the the, it's from the theme. It's from the, sound the it's from the theme. Yes,
3: it's from the theme, and then it got expanded upon as a, a master thing in New Who, and it's just really fun to see how they use that da 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 in different places throughout the throughout the music of Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was very makes cool. Makes me very
3: happy. I didn't have a lot to say about the music because, for the most part, the music just fit the type of story that they were telling. It wasn't anything amazing, it wasn't anything terrible. It fit very well, but I did like that piece, and it was like, oh, I've heard that before. And it actually fit narratively and fit in with the, the theme of the Doctor.
1: Speaking of sound, you know, in a way, when we find out that Terrell is magnetic, okay. You get the thing of the Dalek (laughs) voice in his head telling him to obey. It's got just a little bit of reverb on it, and I thought it sounded pretty cool.
2: Yeah, that did sound really cool. Yeah, Terrell's a a weird dude. I mean, no one's ever seen him eat or drink, which, even if he is under mind control, he's still human, still needs to eat and drink. And he's magnetic and full of electricity. Okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That was very much a,
2: what? Okay. Sure, dude.
3: But the Doctor is using a screwdriver again.
2: We're not far away from it. It's coming. Speaking of the Doctor, this has another wonderful little Doctor quote where he he says, I'm not a student of human nature. I'm a professor of a much wider academy of which human nature is only a part. I thought that was just a wonderful line of dialogue and really talks about a broader little bit esoteric universe. I, I think Again, it's just a wonderful Troughton moment. He has
1: a couple in this serial.
2: Yeah, I think they're really playing to his strength.
1: Yeah, his line delivery is always so impressive.
2: Yeah. We already talked about mind control on Terrell, but Victoria, turns out she was captured under mind control. Maxtable's now hypnotizing Molly. More mind control. I mean, I know it's been a, a theme this season, but wow, they went all in on mind control this story.
3: It's just ridiculous.
0: Yeah, hypnosis as a plot device, maybe it was fresh back then, not so fresh now.
3: At least they mixed up the mind control, though. Because if everyone was being mind controlled the same way, it would just get old. It's like, all right, can you just skip that part? I don't need to see it. I think it makes sense that they kind of made it different for some of the characters. Freshen things up. A lot of variations on a theme. Yes. And then we get, you know, the complete list of characteristics of Jamie, which is courage and pity and chivalry and friendship and compassion. I'm just like, oh, he's still in my heart.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm beginning to think you just have a thing for the Scots.
3: You know, that might be true. But it it is true to this character, though, that he's shown all of those things. And I really like that.
2: I'm happy to go on record and say, right now jamie is one of my favorite companions and if you're already thinking that and we're only a few stories in i, I think you're going to end up on the same page
1: so can we talk about the results of the human factor on the daleks
2: <laughs> yes Why, where do i sign up for
0: some dalek rides
1: bumper cars <laughs> dizzy riley dizzy riley
0: <laughs> they are adorable
3: <laughs> It's adorable, but at the same time, it makes no sense to me. I get that we're saying that when they implant it, they then become children. But even so, children don't necessarily know these games to begin with. They were playing this like one train ride, and I'm like, uh, did Jamie know this train ride? When they put in the Human Factor, did they just automatically know children's games?
2: Well, Jamie didn't uh... even know what a train was at the beginning of the, the story, so I assume exactly.
3: not. Exactly, yes. So I'm just, I'm curious about a few things on that. But yes, they are adorable, Riley.
1: That was one of those parts where I felt like I'm just going to have to go with this. (laughs) (laughs) Because the more I think about it, the crazier
2: I'm going to become. Uh, Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, plot device, if you can call it that. And it's definitely a really weird choice of cliffhanger. Where no one's in danger,
1: but the doctor is playing trains.
2: And then that's followed in episode six with Dizzy, 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 Doctor. What?
0: Friends.
3: (laughs) What's friends? I've
0: watched a lot of science fiction, and I will tell you right now, any being or creature or new
1: creation that says friends will never, ever turn on you. Ever. (laughs) (laughs) But the villagers may turn on them with pitchforks and all that kind of stuff
0: fire that would have you know that would have been a great little twist of you know outside of the greater plot if we had a story that just was like these little jim henson's dalek babies (laughs) and you know they were like innocent but everyone's so terrified of the daleks that it turned into a frankenstein kind of story and they get chased off and killed by some villagers that would have been a good story would have been different Yeah, yeah. But instead we have a gold prospector behind it all selling out the human race so the Daleks can, well, we'll get to that later.
3: You did mention that, but one of my comments in this episode was, why does it always boil down to someone who goes crazy? Yeah. That's all this is. This whole story revolves around this one man who decided that he wanted something so badly and went really crazy.
0: Anthony, why does alchemy make people go crazy? (laughs) I, I...
1: Why did you do that? Why?
2: <laughs> I can only assume it's because it's a uh, symbol of greed. You know, the desire for gold. There's good alchemy and there's bad alchemy, but I'll shut up for now.
1: And is greed not the real human factor? Hmm?
2: Oh. <laughs> Moving on. The time
0: switch ticking time bomb. Literally. And the strange thing about it is it's a ticking time bomb. Not used as the cliffhanger, though it comes in like five minutes into this episode. That's true. And I thought that was refreshing.
2: Because we already had Victoria and Kemmel whisked off to the Dalek city in the previous episode. I was going to say, so I I guess the suspense of where are they going to escape to and how are they going to get out of this is already gone.
3: My other comment was just going to be, if they had worked on their pacing and, you know, condensed this story, then you probably would have had the Dalek playing earlier in the episode and have ended on the cliffhanger of the bomb. But since they decided to drag this out a little bit, that's where it went. Just a little (laughs) bit.
2: I might be misremembering. I think this was originally going to be a six-parter and then decided to save a little money and make it a seven-parter. You're probably onto something there, Julie. One thing I really, really like about this story is how we started out in contemporary London. So we've got present. Then we got whisked off to the past. And now we're on Scarrow in the future. So we're playing in all three of the timeframes Doctor Who can play in. And that's not something it's really done before or when it has. I'm thinking of the chase. It's only been for a very short amount of time. I just thought that was rather cool. Oh, and it also really works. Just the imagery of
0: something like the Daleks moving around a Victorian mansion, like a creepy Victorian mansion with secret passages and stuff, sounds really cool.
3: How do they deal with the stairs? Shh, we don't talk about that.
1: <laughs> they handle it awkwardly. The dumbwaiter.
3: Dumbwaiter, yes. I want to see a Dalek and a dumbwaiter.
1: That would be great. It's One Dalek, that's all he does is lift up the dumbwaiter for other Daleks. His name was Reggie, and he blew up with a house. Sayonara, Aww, yeah. Reggie.
2: But it's almost like in The Chase where they're wandering around that haunted house.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Again, I just really yep. like all the imagery of it. So, here we're, we're now in the future, and the Dalek cities had a little redesign on the inside, and I really like it.
1: That's true, although we're not really mm-hmm. sure exactly where in Dalek history we are. Yeah.
2: The final end, apparently, which <laughs> Again? is I think, the second final <laughs> end we've had so far. Again? <laughs> it's yeah.
3: always the, the end for them. What I do like is, you know, Victoria and Kemmel have this, this great little thing going on where he's her protector. It's, it's very adorable. sweet. I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm sad about his character later, but we'll get there.
2: I know we already touched on Maxable going a little crazy, but there is that nice... Well it's it's not quite nice because he's clearly forgetting about his daughter Ruth. He starts talking about his laboratory and it being the only real thing he has. And here he is getting pushed around by the Daleks after he's failed them. Life's kinda of going to shit for Maxtable, and he's so deluded that he's he still thinks he's got some agency here. It's uh it's quite tragic.
0: Yeah, as Julia was saying, he, he's I think he's got a, a, a touch of the Zaroff in him. <laughs> But I will say this: He may be, he may have lost everything, but he is looking dope in that outfit. Got his hat. He looks. (laughs) Oh my God! He looks like Gary Oldman and Bram and Bram Stoker's Dracula, or Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. I mean, he has got it all, man. He is looking fly.
2: I do love that before the house blows up, he he decides he has to go and get his his hat and his travel case. Priorities, man. I mean, you know, he's he's a Victorian gentleman. Who is he if he doesn't have all these things? (laughs) all right the doctor had given the daleks a name or given them names alpha beta and omega or i guess you all would say beta damn americans Um, i would
1: also say omega and not omega
3: omega Omega.
2: I do love that when fake Omega shows up, the doctor recognizes it because he recognizes what's effectively his own handwriting. And I'm not going to touch on the links to alchemy in in his mark, but it's there. It's there, I tell you.
3: You know, it's just also written that way. I mean, you had to have some way for him to recognize it, honestly, from one letter. All right, sure, it's your handwriting. We'll go with that, doctor. I do like the doctor saying that the Day of the Daleks is at an end because of questioning Daleks. What? (laughs) this is how the Daleks end because one of them says why
0: well as we said before I think that anyone that has experienced young children will understand that you can die from a toddler (laughs) just asking you why over and over and over again and I
2: think that's what happened to them one of my friends who's a mom said her life basically ended the day that her toddler figured out how to say why and that's brought down the Dalek empire
3: and so they've discovered The Dalek Factor. (laughs) Which is the absolute
0: opposite of the human factor. Which would not work as well in a corporate commercial selling the Dalek Factor.
1: I don't know. I think corporations (laughs) would like employees that would obey unquestionably.
0: (laughs) Episode seven? Recorder sighting.
1: (laughs) 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 We also finally got to see, I think at the end of the last episode, the Emperor Dalek. Which
0: is
2: pretty cool. He's so cool. Very cool.
0: Not terribly mobile. But cool. No. No. He's kind of like the king on the chessboard, really tall and cool looking, but can't really move. (laughs) Speaking of the end of that episode, they bring back the TARDIS. They were like, oh, remember this? Did you forget? (laughs) There's so much going on in this entire serial. I was like, oh, that's right. I forgot. The TARDIS is like being held hostage. Remember this thing that's kind of the cornerstone of the whole show? (laughs) Here it is. Sorry, I got got lost in uh, Toby and Kemmel.
3: So I love how they get everybody together. So Jamie and the doctor and Maxible and all of them. And Jamie's like, why are you people believing in transmutation? Like, this does not exist. And the doctor's like, well, they're still trying to figure out now. And he's like, nah, it's all false. Doesn't work. Like, good job, Jamie.
2: I love how Maxible's just still rambling about it after everything. He's he's gone full on Zaroff. You guys were right.
3: Maxible says, "Don't get near me," and Jamie says, "The thought of even going near you revolts me."
2: <laughs> yeah, he's got some good.
1: He's got some good singers. So Maximal does get his reward though, kind of.
3: Well, I love that they show this machine that in theory seems to be working and it just shows a whole bunch of numbers. I'm like, does it actually do what it says it does? Like they never showed us any actual gold.
2: I mean, I could program my laptop to do some random numbers that would be the atomic weights of gold. It's a large prop on a set floor with numbers when it looks like Price is Right
0: (laughs)
1: game. I like to think that it doesn't work at all. It was just a way of making him walk through that archway and become Dalekized or whatever it was.
3: I think the Daleks are cunning enough to do that.
2: I can already tell you all are going to completely roll your eyes at me here, but I'm going to get back on the alchemy train for a second. Oh my god. Sorry. Maximal, through his obsession with turning base metals into gold, has basically got his comeuppance and he's been turned into a Dalek. That kind of materialism doesn't work when the Doctor later walks through the Arch, he's immune to it. as he, he says he's not from Earth, but equally he's been through his own spiritual alchemy and he's been through that spiritual journey through the metaphysical um, <gasps> transformation he had in the, in the 10th Planets and the Power of the Daleks. I just thought that was kind of cool. The, the real secret is a spiritual and personal journey rather than the accumulation of wealth. No, the
1: real secret is Patrick Trouton getting to do a Dalek impression. Which is awesome as well. <laughs>
3: yes!
1: key keep your eyes really wide and don't blink don't blink don't blink oh Mm. you have to wonder why at this point in the show any of the baddies would let the doctor hypnotized or mind controlled or not
2: anywhere near
1: their equipment yeah it's kind of his thing just to get near it and then screw it up
2: I love the way he manipulates the Dalek Emperor in this as well. Once he's done that stuff to the equipment, he's like, oh, yes, uh, another Dalek question. You must send them all through the arch and make sure they're properly Dalekized. Yes. Yeah. Dalek Emperor, if you're going to fall for that, your empire deserves to collapse.
1: So arrogant. He thought he had gotten one over on the doctor.
2: Yeah. And
3: then he gives his like little wink to everyone else and Jamie's like, Oh, this means something and then he's like trying to convince them to go through the machine and Jamie, even though they've you know had a few snits along the way, they're like, It's like, I trust the doctor and walks right in. <sighs> yeah.
2: And then we we lose Paul Waterfield. I think he's the really tragic character in this story, honestly.
1: Yeah, but we also lose Camel. We do lose Camel.
2: I don't know. Maybe
0: I'm hoping for a uh, a happier ending here, but I just felt those deaths were unnecessary for the story.
2: Most people in this story die.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think if Waterfield didn't die, there's no really good reason for Victoria to travel with them as a companion.
2: Yes, that is true. If Pauline Collins had agreed to stay on after the Faceless Ones, do you think Waterfield would have survived and the Doctor would have dropped Edward and Victoria off on 19th century Earth? Probably.
1: Probably. Also, unless we actually see Camel die, in my head headcanon, he fell, but he survived. They can always bring him back. <laughs> <laughs>
2: he's just he's just walking around on Scar. Yeah, unless you just see an on-screen bench, death. Bench-pressing Daleks. They can always bring someone back. True.
3: And if any of you all who are listening to this have watched the reconstruction, you will find the amazing screenshot of Maxtable in his full-out crazy Dalekness in this most epic pose. <laughs> and you really need to see it. <laughs> It's amazing. It just sums up his character in one shot. Oh my God.
2: It's a bit camp, that pose. I think Maxtable is just in general.
3: (laughs) Just a little bit.
2: We'll come back to that when we do the camp count later.
3: And then we say the line that you should never say. I think we've seen the end of blank forever.
2: (laughs) The final end.
3: You never do that.
2: At
1: least they gave him a rest for five years. And I can't say I'm sad about it.
2: They put in that little hint at the end where the Dalek Emperor is kind of clinging onto life, and that was put in at the suggestion of Sidney Newman, who thought they might want to bring them back at some point. So he's still in the background, pulling the strings to some extent. I'm a little astonished that Jamie thought that the Doctor might want to leave Victoria on Scarrow. Right? <laughs> we can't leave her alone. The Doctor's like we're not we're, she's gonna come with us what's wrong with you dude he's had a rough day that's true
3: i think jamie didn't want to seem too eager
2: oh yeah
1: he's trying to play it cool he, he needs to play yeah. it cool
3: uh, <laughs> yes
1: yeah and also let's
0: not forget he's been knocked out by knockout gas knocked out by hit, being hit in the back of the head he's probably been having
2: walking concussion <laughs> in this entire serial. <laughs> Before we wrap up the discussion of the story, we actually had quite a lot of live-action footage in this episode of the Dalek battle. I think, if I recall correctly, that most of that is kind of cut footage rather than the actual Dalek uh, Civil War, but I don't remember for sure. But it really helps illustrate it, and I wish we could see it in full-blown, glorious quality.
1: Oh, yeah, I would love to see this serial somehow Mm -hmm. fully restored.
2: The big thing, you know, there are two epic Dalek stories in this season. And the big question always on Doctor Who message boards in the mid-2000s was which one would you rather see back? And almost everyone at the time said power, and I felt like I was one of the only people saying, "Uh, I'd prefer to have evil of the Daleks. So the other interesting thing about this story, before we wrap up, is it's the first Doctor Who story that actually gets a primetime repeat. And after season five, it gets repeated.
3: And we don't have it?
2: We do not. That's crazy. Oh my god. Beyond episode two. Yep, crazy. Okay, yeah, here here it is. Final battle is actually culled from a behind-the-scenes film called The Last Dalek, so it's not quite what was on screen, but it gives a good idea of what would have been on screen. That wraps up our story discussion. Metrics? Camp count? One. Yep, one. One for Maxtable. All right.
1: Nobody wanted to explain anything later?
2: No, that's disappointing. We'll
1: see that eventually.
2: We will. And then also, when it comes to quarry query, there were no quarries involved in the making of this story. We get a a big zero on that as well. One day we'll hit all three. One day we will. Okay, and then... Scores. Don, we start with you this time. Despite my complaint
1: that I mentioned earlier, which is that it shouldn't be called Evil of the Daleks... And they showed their hand that the Daleks were behind it too early. I really enjoyed this story. I feel like at this point, complaining about pacing issues is almost like complaining that it's in black and white or in English. <laughs> it, it's just part of it. I really enjoyed the first two episodes with the mystery. I would have liked the adventures of Kamal and Jamie a bit more if it had been condensed into about one episode. And maybe we could have had some more fun on Scarrow. But this is a really good good cereal if you can handle dealing with something that has every episode except one missing i would highly recommend checking it out so i'm gonna give it eight mr nods out of 10 all right julie
3: so a lot of things that Don said. What I like, though, is Jamie really coming into his own as a companion. The relationship that him and the doctor have is fantastic. And they allow him to actually be intelligent and add to the story as opposed to him being the hard guns, so to speak. And, you know, Maxible was just batshit crazy, which is a lot of fun. Um, but there are a few pacing issues, and I didn't really like how they introduced Kamel, though he turned out to be great after we got past that. So I will be giving it seven handkerchief-toting Daleks out of ten.
2: All right, Riley, over to you. This serial
0: is an attempt to do a smaller-scale Dalek story after the previous ones kept getting bigger and bigger. It doesn't really succeed, even when you do take out all the padding to the story. I mean, edited down, the silliness of the Daleks' plan becomes much more obvious because it isn't being cluttered with excess characters and drawn-out scenes. On the positive side, the Daleks are always enjoyable, especially the toddler-like Daleks. And as Julie said, Jamie really starts getting fleshed out, and his performance, his character, is really a standout to me in this serial. Also, I'm a huge sucker for an old mansion with traps and secret doors, of course. But uh, the serial has enough pits to keep you going. Just the general plot, though, is just weak. So I will give it seven Dizzy Dizzy
2: Daleks out of ten. Okay, so I already mentioned I have a huge amount of nostalgia for this one. And Don already talked about how it's padded, but you kind of expect that at this point. I think I disagree with Riley that it's a smaller scale Dalek story. It certainly is at points, but its culmination is huge. I think this is the first time we've seen a very deliberate season finale. If you look at what we've had in the past, we've had the Reign of Terror, we've had the Time Meddler, and we've had the War Machines. This feels like it's building to something big, and that's what we get in the final episode with the Dalek Civil War and what is implied to somewhat be the end of the Daleks. I love the Victorian house setting. I love the way it takes us through three different time zones. I think this story has a real sense of the epic about it, even if it is a bit lower key at times. There are a couple of what I think are missed opportunities in this. Firstly is I would much rather have Molly come along at the end as the companion than Victoria. I might change my opinions of Victoria over the next season once we get started on it, but she's not exactly a favourite of mine and I found I really liked the character of molly overall this is a story i still really enjoy i think some of the sheen has been taken off of it through re-watching it with a more critical and adult lens it's bluntly not quite as good as the power of the daleks which just feels a lot more polished but i'm still going to give this one eight stolen tardises out of ten which gives us a story average rating of seven and a half so Good job, guys. All right, that takes us to the end and we are out of time. Uh, We will be back next episode for our season four wrap up and then we'll be back after that for when we start season five. In the meantime, as always, all of our previous episodes are available on your favorite podcasting app. You can also interact with us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Watchers4D. And as a reminder, you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help us out. But for now, thank you very much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Don Smith, Riley Shrek, Julia Philippak, and myself, Anthony Williams. This episode, Dalek in a Dumbwaiter, was recorded on Wednesday, the 29th of July, 2020. And always remember the answer is alchemy. The question who cares?